Hi, it's Karen here. And before I begin, I want to share with you a question I get asked all the time. How do I eat healthy when on the go? Now, I've made healthy living a priority, and I truly believe that I thrive with stage four cancer because of it. So I am always looking for ways to make clean eating simple. And one option I love is Daily Harvest Frozen Delivery. I get chef-crafted, wholesome foods that are in and out of the freezer delivered right to my door. My personal favorite is the Brussels Pod Thai Harvest Bowl. Now, from smoothies and superfood lattes to harvest bowls and delicious desserts, Daily Harvest has it all. Now, if you want to try it, use the promo code PRETTYWELLNESS at checkout for $25 off your first order. Go to daily-harvest.com. And here we are. I want to welcome you to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease, and author of the book, which is a cancer guide and journal for patients and caregivers. It shares the same name as this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me. Success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. And if you like these episodes, please do me a favor, rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. And now for this episode, I am so honored to introduce you to Nikki Gallius, a mom, wife, former school teacher, now inspirational entrepreneur, and a truly bright spirit who was raised across the globe with a challenging childhood, yet even at a young age, she understood the importance of gratitude. High times or low times, she's been able to find joy and appreciation in the little things in life. And that has truly kept her going personally and professionally. Her story is heavy yet full of light, love, and true beauty. So please, grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. Hello everyone. I am so honored and excited to share with you today, Nikki Gallius. She's a mom, wife, friend, and entrepreneur who was born in South Africa and overcame struggles in childhood to pursue her career as a teacher. She has an incredible story, and she's someone that I've known in the community for years, and yet there's so much more. When we look at our neighbors outdoors, we don't know everything about them, which is why I am honored that she is willing to actually share her story with me as well as with all of you. Now, let me tell you, knowing her the way I know her, or even just being a mom that you might see walking your child to school, Nikki is full of positive energy. She is always has a constant smile on her face and walking at a pace of just beauty and love. She is the first to drop off a healthy meal or even a bottle of essential oils to someone who needs a smile. She goes above and beyond for her local community. She's been seen dressed up in a costume, showcasing her karaoke spirit for charity. 
she struts down a fashion runway for a fundraiser, or what is so near and dear to so many of our hearts is she is continually connecting people to help others through small efforts like a community garden or even a big one like how she helps bring people together to help others who need shelter, food, and care. It's just how she is. And today, she's going to share with us her unique story. And I'm so honored, Nikki, that you're willing to get real and get raw with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you so much, Karen, for that beautiful introduction. I don't know how I continue from that, but wow, I'm holding back tears and just so grateful that, you know, you asked me to do this and, and I'm here to tell my story and Yes, you hear the funny accent. I was born in Durban, South Africa. Um, I had a great family, neighborhood and school. Um, Around about the age of 14 or 13, my parents started fighting a lot. But at the time, I didn't realize what was going on. And around 14, I knew my dad had had several affairs. And he started to become very, very abusive to my mom. And I remember being at like a childhood friend's sleepover party. And my mom came to pick me up and she was bruised all over her body. And my brother was in the car and she said, Nikki, we've got a few hours. Um, Dad's taken all our credit cards, everything, and all our money. She's like, except for one, I think it's equivalent of like a Macy's card. And um, my mom said, pack everything we can fit in the car and we have to leave here. And I remember my brother running up and down, panicking. Um, and I just packed, like I knew, uh, opened the deep freezer and got meat and put it in the car. Um, got my school uniform to put in the car. Um, my poor little brother was just so distraught because he had seen it all happen. And I remember asking my mom if my little dog could come too. And she said, no, but we would come back and get her one day. And we all piled in the car. Um, it was full. And we drove down the driveway, and I remember looking at my mom going, where are we going? She said, I don't know, but out of here. And we drove around the neighborhood, and we pulled into our um, local pastor's house. And he was there actually counseling a couple. And this couple lived in the neighborhood, um, very, very generous, wonderful you know, older couple that we didn't know that well, but we knew of them. And they had a little flat in town. And I remember they said to my mom, you could go and stay at the flat. And so my brother, my mom and I drove to this flat. Um, but we didn't have beds or bedding. And within hours, a truck arrived and there were beds and there was bedding and an iron and curtains and um, everything that you would need to have in a home. And I remember feeling this overwhelming sense of gratitude and thinking, one day I'm going to be able to do this for somebody else. Because I just couldn't believe that, like, they even bought a telephone. Um, And I remember thinking, wow, I could phone my boyfriend. Um, And I thought, one day I'm going to give this back to somebody else. And so we were in hiding from my dad for a couple years um, until we heard that he, my mom had got a restraining order. And we then heard that he had immigrated to Australia. And, um, you know, he had um, squandered all our family money, taken everything. And my mom had to start again. Um, We returned back to our childhood home. 
um, when my nanny was waiting for us and my dog. And with tons of debt, my mom slowly started rebuilding her business. And Gareth and I, my brother and I, got little part-time jobs. And I remember I was now in high school and thinking, oh, my goodness, I have to get to college. And I'm going to have to get a full scholarship because there's no way my mom could pay for college. And I did. Um, and I loved college. I decided to study to be a teacher after dabbing whether I should be a social worker or what I could do. Um, and I decided I was going to be a teacher because I've always wanted to teach. I've always I've loved children. I love people. And I thrived in my first year of college. My grades were higher than they were in school. Um, but in the second year in college, um, they were opening it up and giving it to families and the scholarships to families and children who had, you know, been in schools in rural areas and who hadn't had the education I'd been so privileged to have. So they'd given away my scholarship. And I saw my mom struggle to pay my tuition in my second year in college. And I met my husband, Dave, and I knew straight away after two weeks of meeting him that I was going to marry this guy who was an accountant, um, had traveled the world, had been to Australia, had been to America. And we were so quickly in love. And he got a job in Zurich in Switzerland. And he said, what do I do? Do I leave you? Do I go? And I said, go. You're so, with huge tears on the phone, I said, go. I said, this is your life. You're going to be great. And I said, you'll always have me. And by the end of my second year, I was flying to and from Zurich. Dave was so sweet. Every, um, every salary he got, he put money aside and would fly me to Zurich or fly me back or he would fly. So we were never apart more than three months. And while I was in Zurich, I found it really hard. I didn't speak the language. Um, we had really nasty Swiss German neighbors downstairs that would shout at me in German um, because I left the front door opened or because my laundry was in the machine for too long. They were so Swiss and I just couldn't do it. And so I decided to volunteer and I walked into the Zurich International School one day and they were handing over... Um, administration I've had a new principal and I just walked in and said I'd like to volunteer and the old principal looked at the new one and said well what are you going to do about it and she said okay well let's take you upstairs and put me in a fourth classroom with this wonderful teacher from San Francisco and I just started volunteering there and I loved it and by the end of that that my time it was my summer in South Africa um, which is in December, but the schools are still, you know, they follow the American schedule. They were still in school. They offered me a job as an assistant teacher, and I thought this was perfect. I took the job so that I could continue my studies through correspondence and leave college. And I got a job as an assistant teacher at ZIS, and it was probably the best, best time of my life when I look back. I cherished and was so grateful for all the moments and um, Dave and I quickly got married because my mom was very protective and did not want her daughter living with a man in another country without a <laughs> ring on her finger uh -huh. so I got married very quickly we flew back to South Africa my mom and her best friends organized my wedding and my dad had come back from Australia 
and we decided, what do we do? And, and I said, you know what? He can come as a guest, but he's not walking me down the aisle. He's missed so much of my life. Um, so my brother did a speech, and my mom walked me down the aisle, and my little sister, who we adopted um, during probably the hardest time in our life, she was our flower girl. And I realized at my wedding how loved I was and how our community had really gathered around me. My mom said she had four invitations of family friends who had offered to walk me down the aisle. Oh. And she kept saying, I don't know who these men think they are. Um, <laughs> but she, five foot two, proudly did the job. Um, and we lived in Zurich, Dave and I. And, and Mum and Sophie came and skied with us a couple times. And, and as much as we loved Switzerland, we knew that it was never going to be home for us. Um, we were always felt like we were outsiders, which is called outlanders in German, foreigners. And so Dave said to me, before we... Before we go back to South Africa, we bought a little house with the money we had saved for my mom and Sophie to live in, and we were going to extend it and live with them. My mom said, um, Dave said, why don't we go and spend a couple years somewhere else? We're so young. So I said, okay, New York or London, somewhere where they speak English, and I can be understood. <laughs> and we got New York. Dave was working for an American bank, Goldman Sachs, who moved in within oh my goodness, within a month. And so I had to leave my job at ZIS, which felt very, very hard for me. Um, and we moved to the Big Apple. Um, to say I was overwhelmed and petrified would be an understatement. I'd never seen a subway before. I think I rode it to Times Square, went into McDonald's and oh. used the internet there to write a letter to my mom and tell her how miserable I was. Um, and I did that every day. And then got back on the subway and came back down to Battery Park where we were staying um, and Dave could feel how sad I was. And so after speaking to some colleagues, he decided, we decided to move to Hoboken, New Jersey. And as luck would have it, we were at a bar, we met another South African girl who worked at Brooklyn Friends and she said, why don't you join the sub list at Brooklyn Friends? So I did. And that's how I ended up working at, the, at Brooklyn Friends. And I loved my time there. Um, and we then found out I was pregnant with the first child. Oh. And I had Michaela. And after that, um, it was hard to commute from Hoboken to Brooklyn. So I decided to commit to being a full-time mom to her. And then the market crashed and, and money was hard. So I got a job at... Um, a dance and art studio in Hoboken teaching the pre-preschool program. And I absolutely loved it. I taught right up until the day my water broke and I had to give birth to Matthew. Um, so now we had two children. I had a part-time job. Dave was commuting into the city. We were crammed in our little two-bedroom apartment, but we loved it. Um, and then... Dave started becoming really unhappy with his job, and, and he just wanted a change. And he found it and decided to embark on a new career in Stanford. And that led us, brought us to Fairfield. And we moved to Fairfield, and I felt like someone had just taken something away from me, an identity. I had created this identity I dreamt about my whole life, with being in the city, the mom with the stroller, the two cute kids, 
I felt so full and so happy. And here I was in suburbia, which I had no clue what that was like. I felt so overwhelmed. Hurricane Sandy happened a month after we moved. Um, and I slid my New Jersey license plate. So I had to park at the local Bob's discount store, walk up to get to my house because mm-hmm. they guarded off our street. Um, and I just felt so overwhelmed. Um, we then had the Newtown shooting and the front, the doors at school all were locked that year. And I remember thinking, what are we doing here? We were in this rental that I really didn't like. Um, we used to call it the granny house. It had wallpaper everywhere. That had six Labradors in the house. So there were dog scratches and marks everywhere. And um, Dave came home one day after Matthew was just being so awful, probably feeding off my anxiety and my energy and negative energy. And David lost his job. And I was like, oh, no. I was like, all right, we'll make this work. And I remember thinking, Nikki, you just have to find your happiness. You have to be able to look beyond yourself, see who else needs you. There's got to be somebody else who maybe doesn't have a home. And then you can then start appreciating the home you love or somebody who just needs you. Um, But at that time, I couldn't even think that far. I remember just doing the laundry, going for a bike ride. And that evening, putting my very naughty son to bed while my my husband put my oldest daughter to bed. And I looked at my son, and I don't know why I said this, but I said, Matthew, why do you hate me? And he said, oh, Mama, I don't hate you. I don't want the baby in your belly. (gasps) And I came downstairs, and I told Dave. And Dave said, oh, that's impossible. And I said, well, I'm just telling you what Matthew said. And he got up, went straight to CVS, came back with three pregnancy tests. And I took one pregnancy test, and it was very clear, pregnant. And I remember walking up to him and saying, return the other two. You don't have a job, and I'm pregnant. And it was my turn wow. to receive because my community gathered. I remember telling um, Michaela's teacher and a couple close friends and saying, I don't know if I want this baby. I don't know if I have it in me to be a good mom to three. And I don't know if I have it in me. We don't have the room in this house. And this house is falling apart. And our friends were just, so, uh, my new mommy friends were incredible. And I think I made myself vulnerable for them to see me as opposed to being this New York City chick who was living in suburbia with a bit of a grudge, they finally saw me, and they just were there for me. Um, Dave got a new job, a really great one in the city, so he started commuting to the city. We gave birth to the gift in our family, the one that ties us all together, our baby Eva, who's now seven, and we could now afford to buy the rental, And we decided we weren't moving because we loved our neighborhood and we loved our street. So we bought the ugly rental and we decided to do some cosmetic changes and make it our own. And, you know, so there we were redoing floors and windows and and having just so much fun knocking down here and and, and just, you know, every month seeing what we could afford to do. Um, And then we moved out to do the floors and to do a little bit more of the heavy stuff. And just before returning home, um, there was a problem with the floors. It was a fall day. The landlords had removed a hot tub but hadn't done it correctly. So we had bad, we had electricity running, live voltage running throughout our house. 
with a, from a hot tub that had once been removed. And anyway, a bunch of reasons, but we then had a house fire. And I remember getting that call from our neighbor, and we came to the house, and we watched it burn down. And I remember Dave being very still and just watching the fire. And I remember crying and sobbing, hysterically shaking. And everyone was giving me their coats and, and their things. And I remember going, I remember stopping myself and being like, Nikki, why are you crying? And the fireman said to me, Nikki, you need to stop crying like this. Your treasures are all safe. You have three beautiful children asleep, and your husband is standing right there beside you. And it suddenly made me realize, and so were my neighbors. And I had everything except my wedding album. So I went to the little fireman, the youngest one who would actually listen to me because everyone else kept shouting at me and telling me to go and stand back on the lawn and to get away from the house. So I found someone who would listen. And I said to him, if you just go in the front door, the fire was coming from the back forward, you'll find a big chest of drawers. And on that chest is a box. And in that box is my wedding album. And we don't have our wedding photos digitally. So if you could just bring the box, that would be all I need. And he looks at me and he goes, and that's it? And I go, that's it. He goes, I'm going in. And as he went in, I was like, oh, my gosh, Nikki, you're crazy. You're going to kill a fireman. And he went in which maybe for a minute, which felt like 10, because when you're waiting for somebody to come out of a fire, it feels like an eternity. But he came out with a huge smile on his face, carrying a black box. <sighs> and I ran up to him and I said, <gasps> and he said, your, your photos are fine. And I looked at the box and I said, how do you know? And he said, because when I was in the fire, I opened the box to check because if it had been burnt, I would have told you I couldn't find it. Oh. And I wanted to hug him in that moment. I neighbor took the box and kept it safe for me until we returned home. And we'd be bopped around after that between two rentals, the Westport Inn, the Fairfield Inn, a couple friends' homes. People opened their home for me, my husband, my three kids, and my dog. Um, and we made it home. We we financially, it was a real struggle. Um, and I decided that I had found a friend who was an amazing, an amazing friend who truly believed in me and had taught me how to eat clean and how to live the cleanest, most beautiful lifestyle that served me and my body. And she had faith in me. And so I decided that I wanted to do that for someone else. And by chance, I was visiting a friend for her birthday, and we were having lunch. And her boss said to me, will you coach me, Nikki? I want to lose weight. His words were, I'm a fat bastard. And I need to lose weight. You help me. And I remember thinking, yes, I'll do it. I got in the car, phoned my mom, because I was so scared I'd mess up. My friend Lindsay had said to me, I have three times, Nikki, if you mess up on this, this is big. This is my boss. So I phoned my mom and she said, Nikki, what does he want? Listen to him and do what he wants. And I realized in that moment he was asking me by calling himself a fat bastard. He really wasn't. He had lost faith in himself. And he wanted me to have faith in him and to stay with him and guide him and be there for him 
well, he embarked on his own journey, and he did. He was in and out. He was in my life for six weeks. He had an obnoxious ring on my phone that when my phone rang, even my kids knew who it was. And I hounded him, like, don't forget to eat breakfast. Please send me a picture of breakfast. I need a picture. And he would send it. And sometimes he would just say, hang in there. It's coming. It's coming. And after six weeks, he lost over 20 pounds. He started playing tennis again. He felt amazing. Everyone stopped him to ask him what he was doing. He just felt stronger and leaner. And he would always say, I worked with this girl, Nikki. You should work with her. She lives in Connecticut. She's awesome. And so at the end, we had to say goodbye. And I was like, you know what to do. And he said, I know I don't actually need you anymore. I don't need you hounding me or and believe. But thank you for believing in me. And thank you. And he said, by the way, how much do you charge? And I was like, whoa, I hadn't thought of this as a business. And I said, I, I, I kind of hesitated. And I remember thinking two weeks before he was going to say goodbye to me, I remember saying to my husband, some of my local friends and my New Jersey friends started a GoFundMe, which I try to keep very private because I knew people in South Africa would want to contribute. And the rand is so much weaker than the dollar. And I just didn't want people to go out their way. I knew we would be okay. But somehow, probably through Lindsay, my friend, it had got to her boss. And he had contributed, he had given $1,000 to the GoFundMe. And it says, hang in there. Oh. And whenever I'd ask for his meals, he would always say, hang in there, it's coming. Oh, I so the anonymous. The anonymous, I knew it was him. So when he asked me, how much do you charge? I said to him, I don't even know if you know this, but I was the girl with the house fire. And he was like, what? I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, okay, well, it was passed around Lindsay's office, your office, and you contributed to my GoFundMe. So I think we're even. I think we're good. And he looked, he spoke to me on the phone. We both cried. And he said, Nikki, I was there for you when you needed me, and you have been there for me when I needed you. And the next week, my phone started ringing, and, and texts started coming, and I ended up coaching five of his friends, and that's how my business started. It's called Every Mindful Meal, and it's named after my three children, Eva, Matthew, Michaela, and it really was me teaching in another way. Um, I'm not the elementary or the preschool teacher anymore, but I believe that I teach people how to eat clean, how to live their best life, and they do it. My greatest reward is when a client says to me, I did it because they did it. And it's because I believe in every client I get. And it really is a relationship that they have with me and with themselves and with every mindful meal they eat and enjoy. Oh, Nick, this is so powerful. Everything. I I mean, I, I think back to your story and where you all began and for at such a young age to actually be talking about gratitude were you did this mindful living really start back then i wonder too like it must have it must have been in in the hardest time in my life when my mom said to me nikki look how much we have 
there are people with so much less. Be grateful every day for what you have, for the clothes you put on your body, you know, the, the ability to be able to use clean running water to brush your teeth and to drink. Take nothing for granted. And I think living that kind of lifestyle really brings you happiness and joy in a way I can't explain. Well, I, I mean, again, for all the listeners out there, this is new to them. This Some of this information is new to me as well. And I sit here in between tears. Uh, as you mm-hmm. know, I, I cry a lot, but it, it's really, really hitting me in the heart, but also warming my heart as well, because in some ways it explains the gift that you are to this world. It, it, and sometimes I think, I mean, listen, I can only speak from my experience when I've gone through hardship, it, it's, it's awful. It's hard. Uh, But I've also had this clarity and it sounds like your mom who is such a powerful, amazing, inspirational woman instilled that in you and in Garrison and Sophie. Oh, thank you, Karen. Thank you. You know, I went home not last Christmas because of COVID, but the Christmas before. I hadn't been home in 10 years because of the rebuilding of our home. And um, we finally could afford to all fly home, which is <laughs> wonderful. And um, I met my dad, who I hadn't seen since probably my wedding. Um and he looked at me, and we went back to the house we were renting, and he said to me, Nikki, I am so sorry, and he just cried. And I remember saying to him, and he said, Nikki, I'm so tired. He's now 77. He said, I'm so tired of always looking in the rearview mirror. And I looked at him, and I said, Dad, no one asked you to drive and look in the rearview mirror. Go forward. Look forward. We've all forgiven you. Like, move forward forward and you know that really was that trip home was so healing for all of us um and you know now my dad sends us FaceTime messages Mm -hmm. and calls and he loves seeing my children and 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 just being there and and just watching you know the videos I send or the pictures and and it really made me realize that like we all mess up in life when none of us are perfect you know um being able to truly forgive, being able to live, and and being able to to lift someone else's you know burden lifts your own as well. Um, I think it's made me just a more fun mom um, and a and a better wife. You know, I think sometimes I put expectations on my husband to be at everything, to show up, to be the teacher, to be the sports hero, to be everything, and then just having my dad say. Nikki, I'm so sorry, and feeling that was was it such a relief for me, and I feel like now I've just been able to be a way better wife and let Dave just parent the way he wants to, you know, with no expectations. I, I'm speechless. I, I mean, hearing and knowing, I never thought of all this as Dave's story too, right? Especially... <laughs> knowing that you guys got together when you were so young and through all this, and I guess it's because I I know you better than him. And so, but in, in looking at this, especially as you're sitting here and talking about the forgiveness with your father and how that has helped you, you know, 
letting you be you and letting him be him. And I think we all, I mean, I, the whole world, we can't always change people. Hopefully we can inspire them to make some positive changes, right? But we yeah. can't change necessarily the way that they're parenting or the way that they're, we can motivate them. And hopefully they'll want it themselves. And the fact that you came to that realization, I'm guessing, and hey, I'm not, you know, I, that that is wonders for your soul as well as for Dave's as well. Yes, it is. It has really just helped us to embrace each other even more on a deeper level and to embrace the way our children are and who they are, you know, as as little individuals. And it's, and everyone says to me, even with my business, like, Nikki, you're such a good health coach or you're such a good mom. You did it. You changed my life. And I always say, I didn't change your life. I can't go there and change your life. You change your life. I am just merely here to guide, support, and to believe in you and to hold you accountable. So I do, I, you know, but, but you do the work, you know. If I tell you, to wake up every morning and have spinach and maybe a soft-boiled egg and some avocado and to drink a big glass of water with, you know, some lemon in it. And that's on you to go and do that. That's just merely me guiding or suggesting some ways to enjoy breakfast. Um, But, of course, you could wake up and head down the road and get a, you know, a donut and a cup of coffee and be like, huh. So it really is my client's do the work and and they make the changes and it's the same in what we instill in our home and our family like I say to my children you are the driver of your lives like you guys can decide whether you're going to do your homework or not you guys decide whether you're going to brush your teeth or not we're here to support you to encourage you to motivate you to believe in you sometimes nag you to be the boss you know um but you have to do it. You know, if you don't brush your teeth, you're going to get cavities. You don't do your homework, there's consequences. Um, so I really believe that my message to everyone is just, you know, change really can happen. Dreams do happen when you believe in yourself. And if you don't, find somebody who can believe in you and who has faith in you. And just seeing that through someone else's eyes will give you the courage to go and do it. Oh my goodness, another. I am just, that is, every single thing you just said is so motivating, is so true as a parent, as a business owner, as a friend. It is so important to find somebody, if you can't see it, the confidence in yourself or have it, find somebody who does, authentically who does. When you, even talking about... The, the pastor that your mother went in and helped you find the couple that helped you find the home to live in, they believed and they built a beautiful life for you guys there. Or, yeah. you know, fast forward years in living in New Jersey, you finding, I think you had said that, you know, you didn't know anybody when you came out East and here you are finding a way to connect with people and letting them see the success in you and the love in you. It's so true, Karen. Like, you know, um, 
I just throw myself out there in New Jersey. And then in Connecticut, I kind of had this little gradual, little sinking attitude like, I have my friends in New Jersey. I don't need to make new friends. But honestly, you know, that was just me trying to protect myself. When we reach out there, it doesn't matter how long you've lived in a town. It doesn't matter if you grew up in a town or if you're the complete stranger. People will connect with you when you open your heart and when you're real and authentic and you turn up. And sometimes that's, we think, oh, they won't or they judge you or they this or they that. And it's not, you know, whether I was in New Jersey, Durban or Connecticut, people are or Switzerland, people are people. And if you can find the connection and, and you're real and you're yourself, people find you and you find your people. Like we're not meant to be an island on our own. We're meant to be a community. And I think standing there during my fire, watching the house go, there was arms around me. People, I just can't even explain the arms, the, the warmth I felt from people's hugs and people giving me, they're taking their coats off and putting her around me because my teeth were chundering, sh- you know, making a clinking noise and I was shivering and I think it was nerves, but people just kept putting their coats around me and, and the next day, everyone turned up, I mean, and these are people that I've known for such a short time, these weren't my childhood friends or, you know, but just a community of wonderful, warm-hearted, authentic, real people that, you know, today I call my Fairfield family. Um, And there's not a day that I will go by that I'm not grateful for the firemen who, you know, who went in there and who we are still in touch with, who we celebrated a couple, the first two Thanksgivings while we were rebuilding our home, we went to the fire station and had Thanksgiving, you know, had a, had some pie with them and my kids got to play on the fire trucks. <laughs> and I think people, all people, real good people are always there to give when you need it. And sometimes we have to humble ourselves and be okay to ask for help. So I always felt like I had to be there for everyone. I had to be the superhero. I wanted to be that couple that, you know, came and furnished the apartment and let us stay in their apartment. I wanted to be them. But during the fire, I realized that sometimes it's okay to say, hey, I do need a coat. I do need a helping hand. I do need you to bring my kids home from school today because I have to meet with you know, the builders or with whatever you need to do. Um, because that's why we live in a community and that's why we, we're we not meant to be alone. We're meant to be there. It takes a village, you know, to really enjoy and to have a life where you're raising children, being a mother, being a friend, being a business owner. It takes a village. It's, it's never just you on your own that makes it work. Well, and I also believe, like, we are so lucky. This community is phenomenal. I, I, I can, I feel it myself with my own family. I, you know, I hear from your story and there's so many other stories. Um, I will throw it out there for, for a lot of listeners, like depending on where you live. I mean, hey, we live all on top of each other here. So we walk to school and we see so many people that, that we know, or you get to know because you're walking the same path as them, Right. Uh, but there are people out there that live, you know, the closest house is a mile away or, or maybe a, you know, 
a half a mile away. And depending on where you live in life, like community is a word that can really mean however you want to define it. It's just the connection of a few people. And while, you know, you and I, we both love people. And so big community, small community, I think we both would, you know, jump in and give everybody a big hug. Uh, but I, I throw out there to all the listeners, like community doesn't have to be huge. You can still feel this love and support. Like when you talked about sitting in the McDonald's in was it Union Square or Times Square somewhere in New York City, <laughs> you know, feeling uh, lonely and, and, and sad. And you knew that connection with your mother was, I mean, yes, that's family. Family is community too, it, but it doesn't have to be family. Writing a letter, FaceTiming people, yeah. having something regularly yeah. scheduled when you're going, especially when you're going through such hardship, whatever that hardship yeah. might be, right? Having yeah. that, that reoccurrence of love in your life, and it could be the love of a friend, yeah. can be really helpful. And from your story, it seems like you've always had love somewhere somehow every step of the way you know family friends your husband you know now your dogs right like your kids you've you've had a lot of love is there anything else that you would say uh, you know when you've gone through these hard times maybe it was back in school when you found out you didn't have your scholarship anymore or when you started the business I you know if I remember your story right like you didn't have the money you used it cardboard boxes as desks like yeah, what what dreams can happen? What, what were you going to say, Karen? No, I was going to say when somebody wants to, to do something but feels like, oh, the odds are stacked against me. Like, hey, when you get a scholarship pulled from you, it's really hard to be able to continue because you needed that money. Or, hey, you have this great idea and a talent. You want to start a business, but you don't have the money or maybe the time. What kind of advice would you give for people um, about Never whether they should ever- Ever give up. Just never give up. You will find a way. Um, just like in, when I was in South Africa, my scholarship was taken away. I had to, I had to believe. I had to have faith. Um, and I, I knew, never give up on your dreams. I knew I was going to be a teacher some way, somehow. Um, and I think putting yourself out there, volunteering at the school opened up a door for me to get a job, for me to then be able to pay for my online schooling. And it was the same when every man for meal was going to, you know, when I decided to start that business. Um, I remember my husband saying, Nikki, we have, you great that you have these five clients, but, um, like we don't have money for you to go and start a website and, and register your business right away and how are you going to do that and how are you going to pay for this? And and I remember saying to him, Gabe, one day at a time, let me do this. And he was like, okay, go for it. Like I support <laughs> you, but we just don't have the financial means for you to go and get a loan or get a business. And I was like, I know that. And, um, you know, it, it, it was complete faith it was one day at a time and then using the money I had wisely um from those five clients to then register a business um you know to ask the babysitter to do my website for me um and her and I worked together on that and I truly believe that you know in your hardest times when you feel when it looks so dark there's always a little speck of light and then you find that light, you'll get out of the dark. You just have to work through it. And and it can be the smallest thing, like just, 
you know, one call to a client made the difference or, you know, waking up the next day and doing one thing that gets you one step closer to the goal or to the dream. So never, ever give up on those dreams. Um, I don't believe that there's such a thing as um, no money to do it or no way to do it or no, if you have, you know, if you can breathe and you're healthy and you're strong, um, I believe you will find a way to make whatever your dream and passion is, you'll find a way to make it work. Um, you just have to keep committing to it. And sometimes that means like I would sometimes put my kids to bed clean my kitchen and then sit up at night and just work and write out the materials for my program um, and wait or set an alarm for five in the morning and then commit to an hour's work of writing my morning messages that I send to my clients, my affirmations for myself and, and just setting the tone with faith, not thinking like, oh, maybe I could do this or only if there were no no's in in me becoming a teacher or me becoming a health coach. It was just, you know, it was just day-to-day commitments to myself and to what I wanted to do. And and some days were easy and some days weren't. But I never, ever said I can't do something. That was my mom's favorite line. There's no such word as can't. She's like, cannot, which I don't want to hear. She said that was a swear word, or can. <laughs> She's like, but you don't say I can't because you can and um, I kept that as my little mantra, I can, and um, and now I have, and I think I've coached over 900 clients, um, I started one client at a time, I have now do groups, um, the groups have been very rewarding because people come together and friendships are made, um, a community again is built where sometimes I know I heard the other day that they side text each other and tell each other that I'm so mean <laughs> and not realistic about my expectations for them, but they all achieve success and they all get what they want. Um, but the community's really been special and, and having the groups because they do hold each other accountable and they support one another in a way that is even more enriching than just having me. So, you know, now I'm doing group coaching as well as the private one-on-one coaching. And I love it because there really is no word as can't. You can. You can do it. You just have to do it. Oh, my gosh. I I, I love it. I love it. I want to just jump through the phone or maybe jump, you know, (laughs) jump on my bike and go down and give you a big hug. And I think that might very well. I love that. I miss hugs. I miss hugs. I miss hugs. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully in in this summer or this fall or in a year from now, hugs will be back. But I am so grateful. I am so, so grateful that, you know, not only are you in this community because you, you do so much good, both just the little things like, or even the bigger things like helping out, um, you know, people in need. You've done that so much. I know since you've been here as well as throughout your life. I am just grateful that you're willing to tell your story and open up and be vulnerable here on Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in awe because, like I said, some of this I knew, some of this I didn't know, and I'm really honored, uh, really in, in touch that you're willing to do that here because I know, I hope that people who are listening are taking, uh, you know, are walking away with this and really feeling inspired that they can do whatever it is they may want to do, or they can put one foot in front of the other towards their health goal or their business goal 
or having a better relationship with X, Y, or Z. It's, um, I'm just really grateful. And as you know, I, I love to talk about gratitude and I was wondering if you would play the grateful game with me. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> Thank will, you, Karen. Well, of course. And for those of you that are new to me here at Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast, with every episode, we end it by playing the Grateful Game. And what the Grateful Game is, seriously, it is a silly little uh, nighttime routine that my son and I started a few years ago when he was nine. I got a gratitude journal as a gift, and I would sit in bed with him and we would talk about what we were grateful for and why. And because it would get late and my son would oftentimes change the conversation, we ended up making it work for us, which was turning the light off, lying there right next to each other, and as he wanted to do, have a competition about it. Who could say what they were more grateful for than the other one? And so we gave each other a certain amount of time and that's what we'll do here. Now, Nikki, I will say that, as my mom would say, it's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. I love to say that. I love to, you know, give her a little shout out there. And, you know, clearly she wasn't a big athlete because I know, you know, we know in sports, it, it does matter if you win or lose. But I think when it comes to so many of these mindful practices in life, just doing them, just trying them. So for all you listeners out there, if you, you know, take a moment with us right now and think about what you're grateful for and why, you know, or better yet, do it at dinner with, uh, you know, friends or family members, do it at night because you'll notice if you start doing it more regularly, you will see yourself show up during the day looking for that good in life, which will hopefully make you smile or maybe not change the hardship you're in, but change your mood. So, Nikki, I'm going to kick it off. What I am grateful for and why, we'll do about 30 seconds. And let's see. Um, well, you know, in addition to I am so grateful for my health, I'm grateful for my house, I'm grateful for you being here. In addition to that, I am grateful for this celery juice that I'm drinking in front of me. Um, you and I love clean eating, and I love juicing. And so when I can um, have a little bit of extra that I juiced from the day before, it makes me happy. And I'm grateful because even drinking 16 ounces of it, I feel like a little detox in my system. I am grateful for um, all the local businesses here in town. Our town is so beautiful and so cute and so historic. And I love that. Um, so I guess that's two things. I love the local businesses. Um, I'm thinking of this dress that I'm wearing, going to wear to a webinar event I have next week from Penfield Collective. We both love that store. And I'm grateful that we have stores like that here that are beautiful and unique and, you know, can have fun things that I use um, quite often. And I'm grateful for this town for its history because I'll tell you during the thick of COVID when we weren't doing anything, we would bundle up and put on a mask and we would walk through like the, the old town area and, you know, and we'd peek in to see the old schoolhouse. And remember that, I think it was like a third grade field trip for the kids, but it made me really proud to know that all the history that's here in the town and it, it was fun for us to walk through and have our own mini field trip when everybody was like staying so close to home. So, okay, I think that was more like a minute. Um, I am going to toss it to you. Okay, so I'm going to start with my morning. I'm very grateful for my morning coffee that Dave makes for me every morning. And as he brings it towards me, I always picture a big red bow over <laughs> it. It just feels like a little present he's giving me. I'm grateful for the friends who share their gifts 
and um, that's you, Miss Karen Sullivan. Oh. I am super grateful for avocados because everyone asks me if there was one food in the whole world you would have to eat for the rest of your life, what would it be? And I always say the avocado because it's got your healthy fat. It tastes so good, yes. so many nutrients, so avocados. I am super grateful for hugs and I miss them now, but I know they're coming back. I know. I am very, very grateful for my washing machine. Every time I don't feel like doing washing, I always think of my great-grandmother, Dalcy, who was scared of the washing machine. She used to think it was a monster. Um, and so I always think, oh, my gosh, imagine washing these clothes by hand. You're so lucky to have a yes. washing machine. So I'm grateful for that. And then when I have to put in the tumble dryer, this is my last grateful for today, I'm always super grateful for the tumble dryer because growing up we had a big circular um, clothesline in the back of our yard where – I decided it was my responsibility or my job to hang the laundry on the line because if somebody else hung them, they always put my underwear on the outside. And there was a cute, strawberry, <laughs> blonde, freckled boy next door. And I did not want him seeing my underwear. So I used to put all the sheets and towels on the outside and the personal clothes on the inside. So every time I throw my clothes in the dryer, I think, thank goodness we don't have to go outside and hang them on a dryer, um, on a clothesline. So definitely the washing machine and the tumble dryer get a shout out today. Oh my gosh. I love, love, love that. I can only imagine <laughs> our kids like now, especially as close as we all live together to be, yes. you know, worried that their, you know, underwear is like hanging out and who's going to check it out or even who's going to like run exactly. by and take it, you know, yeah. as a joke. I am so honored that you're willing to share your story. And I hope everybody here, um, you know, has been able to, to get a few takeaways from this. And if nothing else, just to remember that there's so much joy and beauty around us and we have a choice at the way we look at it. And so I am sending love and virtual hugs oh. out to all of you. And I hope that whatever journey you're on in life, you're able to find a little bit of joy. So thank you again, Nikki. And, and bye for now, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. As you may have heard from today's episode, Nikki is my neighbor, and though we've walked the beach together, sat on the sidelines at our kids' games, and even saw each other at plenty of school events, I didn't even know half the stories she mentioned today, which just reminds me how each of us are filled with little unknown stories that can bring such insight and joy to others. So whether you're on a walk or grabbing a coffee, I encourage you to be inquisitive with your friends and neighbors. So often we talk about our daily lives, when we dive into our past stories from another era, we often have wisdom that can educate or even entertain others. So thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.